My name is J.W. Oker. I'm an author, and I like to go out and look for weird stuff. I call it oddity. For more than a decade, I've sought out oddities of nature, oddities of art, oddities of culture and history. I believe that within a tank or two of gas, of any point in this country, is some seriously cool oddity, and that we all should go check it out. This is Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. In this episode, we are going on location. Now, for those of you that maybe haven't heard one of the previous on location episodes, what they are is me and my family go on a multi-site road trip. We plan out a full itinerary with multiple stops. And along the way, I record uh, us finding it and I describe it, uh, what it's like being there, what it's like experiencing that oddity. And then I cut it together with me jumping in uh, and narrating every time I get something wrong. For this on-location episode, we are going to Massachusetts, but only part of Massachusetts. We're going to the Springfield area, which is right on the edge of western Massachusetts, close to the uh, Connecticut border to the south. And the oddities we see on this trip are pretty cool, pretty high quality. Honestly, it's not always that way. Sometimes I'm really kind of scraping barrel bottoms when I try to find oddities in areas that I have traversed over and over again. But this one has some really cool stuff. We have a monk's cave. We find a vampire grave. We go to the grave of a science fiction author, and then we end the trip with a venture down a witch's path. We went on this trip about a month ago, and in fact, I wrote about the trip for the Otis Halloween Diary. It's the September 21st entry, if you want to check that out. And that was basically an encapsulation of the day, what we saw, you know, just a short article. This is obviously more in the moment. Everything was recorded in the moment, obviously, except for this stuff. And hopefully it'll give you more of a feel of what it's like to kind of see these oddities and uh, what it's like to go on a road trip with me, I guess. So where this road trip picks up uh, is in a forest in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. Uh, We're traveling on a dirt road trying to find a hole in the ground. All right, we're we're looking for Mount Mineral Road right there. So what we're trying to find is Monk's Cave. So it looks like a hole in the ground. And um, it's, yeah, it's a dirt road, so be careful. There's supposed to be a rise. I don't know what side of the road it is, but there's a rise up to a certain point, and then you can see the hole. But it's viewable from the road. I just don't know if, the, if like, we need less foliage to see it. Yeah, and it's not, it's not the topography yet, either. It needs to be, like, a hill coming up from the road. On the left? I'm not sure what side, honestly. I checked my GPS coordinates, but it was just this road. That's what the coordinates took me to. But it's definitely on this road. And what's the history on this place? So they call it Monk's Cave, but it's one of those um, stone chambers that's all over New England. Yeah. Like the Upton Stone Chamber. Remember that? Like the one in Philadelphia? No, no. that's That, <laughs> that was an actual Monk's Cave where Monk lived in. Yeah. But I think the stone chambers in New England, they just sometimes just call them Monk's Caves. Okay, that looks like a driveway, so I guess go that way. Yeah, you're... yeah so they call it Monk's Caves, but they, I don't know. That's just one of the names. Yeah, it's a little bad. No, it's it's a fake cave. It's like not a natural cave. But yeah, but keep your eyes open, okay? Because it's supposed to be any. Kind of. Yeah, it's a pretty um, with like you know, you know, framed by stone, by a tree. Yeah, I didn't realize the road was this bad. 
Huh. And it's time for me to break in already. So what had happened is we had come against a gate that was uh, thrown over the road. It wasn't much of a road. It was a dirt road full of holes. There was leaves and, and sticks and stuff all over this road. It felt like a hiking trail really more than a road for our car. And it was really confusing to hit this gate because I knew from the map the road kept going for another, for another mile. And I thought that Monk's Cave was on the side of that road. Turns out, and we'd figure this out here in a second, but turns out right where my GPS took us, Monk's Cave was right there. We had already passed it. What had confused us is that uh, there's a pretty big dirt driveway off of Mount Mineral Road, and it's off that driveway that Monk's Cave is. So that's kind of what was happening and why we were confused that we couldn't find a hole in the ground. But we figured it out here in a second. Yeah, uh, you can try to turn around right there. Yeah, let me, let me do some quick digging real fast, because I thought this road connected, so you just see it. No signal? Uh, okay. Yeah. This is kind of scary. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> there it is! <laughs> nice. Alright, you found it. <laughs> off, off voice. Hold on. Off camera, you Let found it. Again. No, you found it. It's fine. There I wasn't, it is. I wasn't recording. So just park right there, looks like. So maybe my, oh, so my GPS marker was exactly where it was then. There it is. I thought it was just uh, to the beginning of the road. Actually, oh, wait, hold on. Yeah. There it is. Yep, we got it. We got it. All right, everybody out. I, I kind of still don't see it. Where'd it go? It's found a Here it is. So it's up on a little rise at the base of a tree. There's this hole in the ground surrounded by stones. That's awesome, Dad. Look at that. Do you remember the last time we went to? The yeah. Upton Stone Chamber? Oh, yeah. Like a, we went into? Yeah, like it was like a beehive-shaped yeah. hole. That's a different hole in the ground. I know what you're talking about, though. What if we go down, like how we get back up? Probably. I can record you if you go down there. Uh, I don't know if I want to go down there. You're the bravest here, Dad. Am I? I don't, yeah. think, I don't think it's true. I mean, I don't want to. We should go down there, Dad. I'll definitely go down there, but I want to let Mom take pictures first. Okay, so the hole is small. It's about the size of... Yeah. I wish I knew size. It's about a three foot, three foot by three foot hole. It's underneath a tree and goes right down probably another five, six feet. And it's completely lined with rocks. I'm probably gonna have to go in, I think. All right, I'm gonna try to, I'm, I'm gonna try to, hey, Lindsay, I'm gonna try to go in. Yeah, not of me getting in though, because that's awful. Right. Like I said, it's a really small hole. Ugh. All right, I'm inside. <laughs> I literally have about two feet around me on all sides, but I can stand up almost. I'm about six foot tall, and right in the middle I can stand up. So, I'm inside the monk's cave, which is just a colloquial term for it. No monk ever lived here. It's a fake cave. It's very small. You couldn't live inside of it. It's actually a stone chamber, and what these stone chambers were for were root cellars or vegetable storage. Colonial settlers would make these because they could keep their food at a constant cool temperature and make their perishables last longer, their vegetables and whatnot. Uh, so a kind of a mundane purpose. 
and you can actually see the entire area. There are old stone fences cutting through the forest and old, a lot of the houses in the area are very old. So this is definitely that kind of place. Uh, what makes these things kind of fascinating is a lot of people have theories, or not a lot of people, but people have theories that these aren't from colonial times, but from pre-Columbus visitors from Europe. <laughs> so some Europeans came before Columbus discovered and built things, and these are the ruins of those inscrutable things. It's a fun theory because obviously we want to have old ruins in America and we just don't, but really the answer is extremely mundane. These cool cellar holes are refrigerators, but still wild that you can just find them just sitting or just in forests throughout New England, just here, like no special act of preservation about them, no historical placards, just a rock lined hole in the forest that you can climb into, and I'm definitely proof of that because I'm not in a shape to be climbing into small holes usually. That's it, coming to you live from a monk's cave in a forest in Shrewsbury. Hey, you guys know where we're going next? Where? A vampire grave. That'd be awesome. All right, so I am in South Cemetery in Belchertown, Massachusetts, looking for a vampire grave. So New England has quite a few of these vampire graves. They all have the same story. It's colonial times. It's nobody knows what tuberculosis is. So when family members start wasting away, getting paler, getting thinner, they believe that they're getting preyed on by a vampire. And they believe that that vampire is somebody in the family. So what they would do is they would go dig up family members and whichever person looked preserved, looked like looked unnaturally preserved in the grave, they would then perform a ritual on that family member in order to stop the vampire from rising every night and feeding on the rest of the family. The rituals are different. Mercy Brown's the famous one in Rhode Island where they pulled out her heart and then burned it to ashes and then mixed up a drink and gave it to uh, one of the relatives there to drink uh, as a tonic. In this case, in South Cemetery, Mary Dwight is our vampire at hand. I haven't found her grave yet. It's here somewhere. There's a lot of old graves, so we'll find it. But Mary Dwight's story is the same, with some details changed. So in this case, it was a reverend, Reverend Justice Forward, who started suspecting that his family was being preyed on by a vampire. So they went out. I think a physician went out. Other people went out. It was usually not. It usually wasn't done under the cover of night. Usually everybody knew about it. Justice Forward went out. They dug up his mother-in-law. That's who he suspected first, of course, his mother-in-law. But when they dug up her body. It didn't look like a body that could resurrect itself. It was very almost skeletal, and there was just nothing that kind of showed that she had. She was fresh, <laughs> fresh as a vampire. So when his mother-in-law didn't pan out, he next dug up his daughter, Mary Dwight. And what they found was lungs that were somewhat healthy, I guess, healthy enough to be suspicious, and blood in them, which really kind of tipped them off that this person was actually the vampire. So what they did is they removed the lungs, removed either the whole liver or part of the liver, put it in a box, separated it from the body, and then buried that a couple of feet above the body. Interestingly enough, I was watching a travel channel show, I think it was The Legend Hunter, uh, some Josh Gates type show, but not Josh Gates, somebody else. And they did a ground penetrating radar of this site of Mary Dwight's grave and actually did see a small box buried above a larger box. So, interesting. So I'm gonna stop talking and try to find this grave. So apparently I've been sending my family off on a wild goose chase for this gravestone. It's Martha Dwight, not Mary Dwight. And we found a f plot of Dwight's, but I don't know. Is this Martha M-A-R? It's D. Oh, all right. 
So we just gotta find Martha White. All right, so apparently not only were we looking for the wrong name earlier, we were also looking for the wrong Martha Dwight. All right, let me uh, try to untangle that series of errors that I just embarked on. So I knew we were looking for the grave of Martha Dwight, but for some reason when we got there, I told my family her name was Mary Dwight and then sent them off to go find it while I did a quick narration for this podcast. By the time I joined them, I realized, oh no, I meant Martha Dwight. The next error I made was that I had a picture of Martha Dwight's gravestone on my phone, or so I thought. Turns out I had a picture of some other Martha Dwight from some other cemetery, and I think some other state. It had nothing to do with what we were trying to find. When we did find the gravestone, you couldn't even read it anyway. It was completely illegible. Com the, the epitaph completely worn away. So all that information was moot, and it was just an opportunity for my family to see me be wrong over and over and over again, which they are honestly kind of used to. So let's go back to the graveyard, where we do eventually find the vampire grave. I think this is it right here. Well, the problem is this one is weathered a lot more than the shot. No, but come here, look at this. This part that's not, this part that's not worn is exactly here. See this really obvious different discoloration here? Yeah. And pattern? Oh yeah, and that round thing and the two dots, yep. This, I think this is it right here, guys. Yes, So you guys are sitting on top of a vampire grave. There's a spider on the grave. That's two. That's that's two the spiders. That's the theme. Yeah, that's it. We're literally right Mom, up to the Mom, we whole found time. it. They're literally right next to her the whole time. That's Have you taken them to a vampire grave before? No. Your first, your first vampire grave. I think I'm her. I think I'm above her. No, her liver and lungs are buried in a box above her coffin. So if you dug right there for about two feet, you'd find a little box. Inside of that, you'd find old decayed organs. All right, I guess I'm done here at the vampire grave. It just, I'm always like these because besides the story being creepy, you, you're literally visiting the actual site where it happened. Right here where I'm standing, an entire drama of exhuming your family and ripping out their organs, all because you're afraid they're attacking the rest of your family at night. Creepy. So next on the agenda is another cemetery, this time to see the grave of a science fiction author. All right, so I'm in Fairview Cemetery. Uh, we just found the grave of Edward Bellamy. It's a nice brown obelisk. Born 1850, died 1898. Doesn't say what he's known for, but he's known for a science fiction book he published in 1888 called Looking Back. It was a utopian novel set in the year 2000, but the novel Looking Back was his bestseller, a bestseller, and really influenced people because he painted this picture of a society that was completely harmonious. There's no such thing as private property. All services were nationalized and people liked the idea. So there was entire societies and groups formed around trying to bring the utopia he painted in the science fiction novel to pass. And now of course he's passed. So I don't know why I wanted to visit his grave. I haven't not read the novel at all. I just like visiting science fiction authors graves for some reason. There's something, I don't know, something weird about people who uh, make their lives in the future dying and becoming old history. So I neglected to mention that Fairview Cemetery is in Chicopee, Massachusetts. 
Also in Chicopee is Edward Bellamy's house. It's on Church Street, and it's not a private house anymore. It's owned by an organization, and I'm not sure what they do with it. I've seen it before. I've seen it from the outside, but I haven't been inside. I don't know if it's kind of dedicated to Bellamy or if it's just owned by the organization or what. Maybe one day I'll find out. If I ever do read his book, then I would probably have the motivation to do that. But I've seen his grave, so, you know, I've gone that far. All right, now let me send you back to the road trip where we are on the way to Springfield to see Witch's Path, probably my favorite site on this trip, which sounds strange uh, for a trip with a vampire's grave, but I've seen tons of vampire's graves, so I've never seen a Witch's Path, and it's a pretty interesting story and a pretty interesting place. No, I Turn left onto Witch Path, then you'll arrive at your destination. White Church Historic District. Turn down here. Trying to, but there's the cars. And it's a red light. So. Alright, a little bit more. Oh, geez, it's literally a path. Can you go there? That's like a path, right? That's the cemetery. We definitely want to go there. So that's, I think that's the, the, yeah, I think those are all which path addresses. That's it. So I am on Witch's Path in West Springfield, Massachusetts, which is a legit road. There's a green sign that said Witch's Path around it, right at the intersection of Elm Street. And it's been known as this since at least the 19th century. It parallels a, it's kind of sunken in in a ravine and it parallels a graveyard, and a literal graveyard because there's a giant white church at the front of it. It's not a church anymore. It's kind of run down, honestly, but I think it's now a place of business of some sort. But anyway, according to 19th century accounts, newspaper accounts, they called that path in the ravine Witch's Path because the cemetery was where, you know, goblins and witches and spooks of all sorts were supposed to gather. Another 19th century newspaper account, however, attributes the name to a woman who was found in that ravine who was wounded and bruised. I don't know all the details. I'm going to have to do some more research and then let let the narrator version of me tell you. But basically she was found in a bad way in this path and she said that she had been attacked by witches. All right, this is narrator me. Um, The account I mentioned was from 1861 and it doesn't give a whole lot of details, but it does say that the woman claimed that the witches put a horse halter on her and then stuck her with pins all night. And then when the morning came, they all just kind of dissolved into the air. So, you know, one woman's torture is another person's not torture. So of course you call that spot Witch's Path. That's the story, it's a really cool place. I mean, I'm here a little early for there to be foliage, but this is like old white church, peeling paint, old graveyard, residential street called Witch's Path. It's kind of all you want in a stop on a creepy road trip. And there you go. That was the road trip. I hope you enjoyed listening in as we looked for stuff. (laughs) Okay, uh, usual plugs. If you could give us stars on iTunes, that would make me extremely happy. But my big plug is my newest book. It is either out imminently or already out, depending on when you're listening to this. It comes out October 29th. The book is 12 Nights at Rotter House, and it is a haunted house novel. I know you're here listening to nonfiction stories, but let me tell you that this novel I've written is heavily influenced by what I do and what I go see. So if you want to check it out, I would love for you to do that. It would really help me out. I guess let me pitch it to you really fast. It's the story of two people 
who seal themselves into a notorious haunted house for two weeks to see what happens. That's it. It's that simple of a story. Um, the way I kind of describe it is as a haunted house novel for people who are kind of tired of haunted house novels. Obviously, they can be very tropey, very samey. I still love them, though. But I wrote this one with that idea high in mind that the haunted house story had been beaten down to its foundations over the past few centuries. So again, a haunted house story for people a little bit tired of haunted houses and maybe a haunted house story for people who love haunted house stories. Ideally, anyway, who knows? But check it out. Uh, if you do check it out and you like it, I would certainly appreciate reviews on Goodreads or Amazon or wherever you do your reviewing. I'd actually um, covet those reviews more than I covet stars for this podcast, honestly, because those reviews will go directly toward helping me sell another book. <laughs> and I mean, sell a book to another publisher. So thanks for listening. And I'll see you back here, wherever you are, for the next episode. This has been Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. Podcast.